My name is Gage, and you are listening to my very own miniseries called Cryptids and Creatures. For centuries, legends have existed that tell of horrifying creatures stalking humanity. In this series, we'll be exploring the lore surrounding these creatures. Do devils, demons, and monsters actually exist? Or are they simply fragments of our imagination, intertwined with our innate fear of the things that we don't understand? Who knows? By the end of this, you may decide that you actually believe in monsters. spooky motherfuckers (laughs) (laughs) my name is gage and my name is ray and you are listening to gore report a true crime podcast yeah but today today will be spooky oh thank god (laughs) it's it's gonna be spooky i figured maybe a little cryptids and creatures mental health break would be good for this week because we've been going through some crazy shit since we came back from kentucky it's been nonstop. so like i I did not recover from matthew hoffman i did (laughs) i did not i didn't either i never made it past that i don't think but uh before we get into spilling all the beans and getting into all of the spook that I have for you guys today, I would first like to wish you a good day and a good week. And And a good good (laughs) Jesus. Okay. We always hope you are doing just fantastic and wonderful. Before we dive into the episode officially, I do have just two things that I want to go through first. The first thing is we got not just one, not even just two, but three new Gorgoats this week. And that is crazy. (laughs) I can't can't snap with my right hand. (laughs) Yeah, what are you doing? Your very best, and it's appreciated. (laughs) (laughs) But a big thank you to... Clark. Yay! Hello, Clark. Thank you. Kai. Yay! Thank you guys so much. <laughs> and Vicky. Yay! <laughs> All I of the snaps. I can't snap fast with my right hand. <laughs> we are trying our best. The snapping, I think, is is adequate. <laughs> I think it's adequate snapping, but I'm trying. <laughs> I I can obviously do it better with my left hand, and that's messed up because I'm right-handed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yes, thank you guys for joining the Gorgoats. That is much appreciated. We love each and every one of you. It's just we can't even describe how awesome it is. Thank you, bunches. And you guys are super supremely, 100%. The you're, best. Our, you're our babies. You're the best. And you're freaking awesome because 200,000. Yeah. 200,000. Yeah. Downloads. Downloads. Which is wild. And uh, for those of you that follow us on social media, then you saw that already. But for those of you that maybe listen that don't follow us on social media, we broke 200,000 downloads today. And that is like... Insane. That is insane. Because it was it was less than a month ago that we were saying thank you for 150. And it was less than a month before that that we said thank you for 100. It's just like... I, it's wild. You guys It is are, wild. You guys are freaking amazing. 
I know that it impacts our life in a very, very, very big way. And we are forever grateful. Absolutely. For it's the, wild. the kindness, the support, the generosity. And it is also a very humbling experience to know that, you know, our work is being appreciated around the world. That's wild. And like even you just saying that right now is like it's, what? It's so weird. It's, <laughs> it's so weird. weird. It's so weird. I don't think we'll ever get used to that. No, <laughs> but, not at all. But, but you every know. single one of you have just been amazing. Yes. Yes, and yes, for the millionth, bajillionth time, we appreciate you guys so much. Truly, this show would be nothing without you. I know you've heard us say that time and time again, but it is very, very true. And we so. will continue to remind you. In fact, we should give some extra snaps. Oh, Extra snapping. I think that's appropriate. That is very appropriate. That was but, my uh, left hand this time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, moving on past that, I have one more announcement that I wanted to make. I know in the Adrian Reynolds episode, I announced that I was going on a week-long trip from February 14th to the 21st. And in the Adrian Reynolds episode, I said that the day before I leave, which will be Tuesday the 13th, that we would be able to record and I would have an episode, you know, put out while I'm in Maryland. But, 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 but. It's not exactly working out that way because I have to be up at like what five thirty in the morning yeah, Wednesday. It's gonna be super we early. have to get up super early. Usually when we record, it's very late that we get started. We are nighttime recorders. So that being said, just trying to do a full length episode late at night and then trying to make sure that I have my bags packed and that I get enough sleep to wake up at five o'clock in the morning. It's, it's just a lot. it is a lot. So after some further thought I have decided that we're just going to take next week off as well. And I know that's an extra week with no content, and we do greatly apologize for that. But it's just that's the best way we can make it work with the schedule of things. But we will be back on February 29th. I think that is the Thursday after I come back. So we will be resuming our uploads continuously after that. And when we do come back, I will announce more of it on our social media. So if some of you are listening and you don't follow our Facebook or our Instagram pages, I highly recommend that you do that because that's where we we update all of you guys, you know, when we have plans change or just anything that or may we happen, get sick or, anything, yeah. just anything and everything we post it on there. If you want to keep up with us like that, I highly recommend that you follow. Um, but when we do come back from this two week break, um, this is for the Patreons exclusively. We are going to be implementing something for the patrons so i'm not going to announce exactly what that is yet because we still have a few more details to work out but to all of you that are gorgoats you know our tier doesn't offer any bonus content um it's just for support but we're getting to the point you know more and more of you are joining and we just feel like it's only right that we give you something you right. know just just to just to you know say that we appreciate it we want to give you that little bit extra so more details will come on our socials in the coming like week or so so stay tuned for that so yeah that pretty much wraps up all of the business announcements that i had for today stay tuned on our socials for further updates we will not have an episode next thursday or the thursday after it will be a two-week break i'm just going to emphasize that one more time but uh yeah i think with that being said we can now dive into my episode uh as i said in the beginning i thought a cryptids and creatures episode would be ideal for today it's about time 
it's been like, a minute. Like, bitch, it's about time. It's been a minute. <laughs> I'm telling you, I have such a hard time organizing, like, when I want to do cryptids or, like, all of the true crime content that we need to do. I have a very hard time balancing it out. But it's been a long time since I did an episode like this, so I really wanted to dip my toes back into the cryptid water. Uh-huh. And uh, I thought for Volume 3 of Cryptids and Creatures, that we could dive into one of my personal favorites. And I will say I did not know about this cryptid until recently, which is kind of shocking because I fucking love cryptids. Um, But I didn't know about this one, and I learned about it, and it just, like, fucking creeped me out, and I loved it. So now it's one of my favorites, but we will be talking about the werewolf beast of Bray Road that's been terrorizing people in Wisconsin for decades. Oh, yeah, this one's pretty fascinating, more than a little creepy. Um, I can say now, you know, I've said this on my other two volumes of Cryptids and Creatures, but I truly believe in this shit. (laughs) I know not everyone does, but I for sure believe in things that exist outside of our comprehension. Cryptozoology highly fascinates me because I do believe a lot of it to be real. Because, I mean, who the fuck is who the fuck can say that it's not definitively? I mean, I mean, we don't we don't 100 percent know, but I can't can say that i do believe in werewolves because i do believe that i've seen one with my own eyes so this one's gonna fucking get this one you is then. going to fuck me up it's creepy and, so and later after we get through the episode if you want me to tell it we might just do that if you want me to tell it it's it's wild okay it's wild honestly after you take this in i would honestly love to hear that it's so wild to all of you listening uh stay tuned to the end for ray's werewolf encounter <laughs> But uh, yeah, I really, truly believe this to be real. Like, I I really do. It absolutely chilled me to my fucking bone. I would love to hear everyone's thoughts on this after we're done. So uh, yeah, pack a bag, grab some snacks, and uh, get your silver bullets ready, bitches, because we're going werewolf wrangling. Oh, shit. So to begin telling you about the Beast of Bray Road, we can first talk about the area that it's said to inhabit. Okay. This legend takes place in the city of Elkhorn, Wisconsin. Elkhorn is a beautiful city that sits within Walworth County. It's about 40 miles southwest of Milwaukee, and the city is pretty rich in history. As for how Elkhorn got its name, it's said that in the early 1800s, a colonel named Samuel Phoenix was in the area, and he spotted a rack of Elkhorns caught in a tree. And evidently, elks aren't native to this area, so it was believed that maybe someone traveling in from the west could have possibly thrown the elk horns in the tree, or the, not horns, antlers, excuse me, but... When I was like, the whole deer? <laughs> no, the just, whole? just the antlers. Because <laughs> when you said that, like, I was sitting here looking like, wait a minute, and then... Listen. I haven't recovered from the fact that I just said elk horns. Elk horns. I'm literally done. It's definitely antlers. Uh, But when Samuel saw these elk uh, antlers, he proclaimed the city as elk horn. You almost said it again, didn't you? I almost said it again. You caught me. I almost said it again. So this area is extremely beautiful, very scenic. The soil is extremely fertile and rich, and it makes for excellent farmland. People started coming to this area to settle in the 1800s, but more specifically, Elkhorn had its first town meeting in 1846, and at the time of that meeting, Elkhorn had a population of 539 people. Also in the year 1846, because of Elkhorn's geography placing it in the center of Walworth County, it was officially designated as the county seat. And in 1851, Elkhorn became the home of the Walworth County Fair, which today 
The Walworth County Fair is deemed to be one of the largest and best county fairs in the U.S. So, Ooh. as well, yeah, there's like a, there's a lot going on in Elkhorn. I'm honestly not that big on fairs. They they honestly kind of scare me. Yeah, I'm just not good on people. Anywhere where there's people, I'm just not for I it. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of people, but like the rides scare me. Same. I just I don't do any of that shit. Any roller coasters that like. No. You can pick them up and, and travel with them. No. That is not for me. No, none of it's for me. Not <laughs> at all. Not at all. So as time passed, the city of Elkhorn continued to develop, and today it's become a thriving community. Today, Elkhorn has a population of around 10,330 people, Damn. and it's known yeah, and it's known <laughs> for its beautiful scenery, quiet atmosphere, and its proximity to several popular tourist spots, including two very well-known lakes, Lake Delavan and Lake Geneva. Both are considered highly popular vacation spots. I've heard of Lake Geneva before. Yeah, there's actually a lot of ghost stories surrounding Lake yeah. Geneva, too. That actually might make for a good episode one day. But uh, when it comes to the people of Elkhorn, the city is described as a pretty diverse, excellent blend of different people from different walks of life. The people of Elkhorn are mainly made up of farmers, merchants, lawyers, and different types of entrepreneurs. Nice. Elkhorn is also described as the Christmas card town due to its very strong Christmas aesthetics during the holiday season. It literally looks like something off of a Christmas card. <laughs> like it really, really does. There's plenty of churches, small shops, uh, you know, things like that. And funny enough, Elkhorn also gets its title as the Christmas card town because the town square of Elkhorn was the scenery for some very famous Christmas cards. Oh, like, wow. Like widely printed Christmas cards. The city was also featured in 1952 on the television series March of Time, and this television feature grabbed national attention. So Elkhorn just became, as I said, a literal Christmas card town. There are tree lightings and citywide Christmas decorating that's done every single year. Uh, This is actually a quote from Mm WisconsinFrights.com. This article in particular covers some of the history regarding how Elkhorn became a Christmas card town. Okay. Uh, I will leave this article in the show notes, but this quote reads, quote, Each year the city takes the lead in holiday preparations and the putting up of street decorations is quickly followed by the arrival of wreaths and holly and Christmas gifts in the shop windows along the main street. End quote. It sounds so wholesome. Yeah, so as you can picture, Elkhorn is a very cute town. During the holidays, the citizens of Elkhorn definitely go all out with the Christmas theme. There's a lot of beautiful scenery, a lot of cool places to visit in and around Elkhorn. And tons of people refer to Elkhorn as a place that is perfect for raising a family, retiring, vacationing, all of the good stuff. Right, but it sounds like there's a catch and this is a Stephen King book. (laughs) Elkhorn is also known for something a bit more sinister oh, stalking within the limits of walworth county and terrorizing the locals is a werewolf-like creature that stands between six and seven feet tall Ooh. its body is described as humanoid with its head described as the head of a large wolf or german shepherd okay complete with huge teeth and pointed ears this creature is covered in gray fur and is known to be both bipedal and quadrupedal And the eyes of this beast are said to be enormous, glowing with shades of deep crimson red, yellow, and orange. And this creature is also referred to as the dog man or the man wolf. Oh, wow. Now, 
before we continue, I would like to point out that the state of Wisconsin in general is known to be one of America's most haunted states and also just a generalized hotspot for all sorts of paranormal activity. Mm -hmm. UFO sightings are very, very common in Wisconsin, as well as different types of hauntings. Um, there's even lots of, you know, mythical lore in Wisconsin, including hair-covered elves that inhabit the northern regions of the state, as well as repeated sightings of ape-like humanoid beasts that date back as early as the 1800s. But when researching all of the different types of spooky stuff that you can find in Wisconsin, mm -hmm. you will find that amongst the most infamous is the werewolf beast of Bray Road. Wow. So let's talk about Bray Road. Bray Road is a roughly four-mile-long country road that's located down Geneva Street past the downtown portion of Elkhorn. It's surrounded by several patches of farmland and thick stretches of trees. Okay. Bray Road is also just a little ways southwest of the infamously haunted Highway 12 overpass, and it actually runs almost perpendicular to it. <sighs> Bray Road wasn't really traveled heavily by people until the 1960s when surrounding highways were built. Before then, it was pretty much just isolated land. But some of the earliest inhabitants of Bray Road were, of course, the Bray family. They had a farmhouse which was named the Bray Family Farm, and that property was passed down through the generations in that family. So in this documentary that I watched about the Beast of Bray Road, it said that there's even evidence to suggest that Bray Road was also a Native American like trail or a training ground of some sort. Okay. And lots of people believe that this may play a part in the creepy happenings on this road. There are even theories out there that the Beast of Bray Road is actually a skinwalker or a Wendigo. I mean, rather than I a mean, werewolf. I mean, be <laughs> I believe these things exist. I mean, same. I and I for listen, sure. Listen, when the indigenous people tell you certain things not to do at night, like you fucking the, like, listen. You fucking listen. You fucking listen to that shit. You like, fucking listen. I will be doing a Skinwalker episode. Um, I don't even want to say Skinwalker. I don't want them to fucking come after me. <laughs> a uh, a flesh pedestrian. <laughs> a flesh pedestrian. They scare the living fucking bejesus out of me i truly believe in that shit like i'm you you won't find me whistling outside at night you no. won't you won't find you won't find me you will not find me but uh people do believe that the beast of bray road is a flesh pedestrian or a wendigo you know something more in that kind of culture um a lot of people believe that and it's super super creepy because i also believe that to be real right when it comes to the first sightings of this creature, you can trace it back to a man named Mark Shackleman in the year 1936. At that time, Mark was in his 30s, he was a husband and father, and he was working as a nighttime watchman for the St. Coletta School for Exceptional Children that was located in an old Catholic convent in Jefferson County, Wisconsin. Okay. One dark night in 1936, Mark had just finished up his duties at the school. It was around midnight, and with a flashlight in hand, he decided to walk back home, and the route he walked required him to pass over some fields and some old burial mounds that were on the property. And during his walk, he spotted what looked like an enormous black shadow, hunched down on all fours, digging into one of these mounds. Mm. So Mark stopped and observed this creature for a few minutes. He was thinking that, you know, it was maybe a dog or some type of wolf. But from the distance he was looking at it, he could tell that it was way too big for that to be the case. Like, right. way too big. Mark also noted that the creature reeked of rotting meat. Ugh. And suddenly, 
the creature stood up on two legs, and Mark saw that it easily exceeded six feet in height. It was covered from head to toe in thick fur, but somehow appeared to have the body of a muscular man while also having the head of a large wolf or canine. This creature looked directly at Mark and he froze. Shaking and extremely nervous, Mark started slowly stepping back, and after a few steps, the creature released a howling, guttural shouting noise, Mm. and then it got down on all fours and ran off into the nearby woods. It was said that Mark had a similar encounter with the same beast the following night after that, and according to what I read, the experience scared the living shit out of him, and it stuck with him for the rest of his life. I I mean, the first time didn't? Homeboy, I would not leave my house after that. Same. Like, there would there would be no second time for me. There would be no second time. <laughs> but, like, you know. Even, even with what I saw scared the shit out of me, I don't even want to go out at night. Like, right. I'm telling <laughs> you. But, like, this stuck with him for the rest of his life. It is absolutely insane. Now, this story is said to be the very first sighting of a werewolf beast in Wisconsin. But in the late 1980s and into the 1990s, a surplus of werewolf sightings in Elkhorn would take the story to the forefront of national headlines. Yeah, I don't like this. In the fall of 1989, a woman named Lori Andrezzi had an encounter with the Beast of Bray Road. At the time of the encounter, Lori was a single mother working as a bar manager at a lounge called The Jury Room, which uh, is located in Elkhorn. And reading that literally just like made my asshole shiver. Because if y'all remember from mm-hmm. the Edmund Kemper episode, he also hung out at the jury room. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 Edmund Kemper, you must leave my brain. No, Ooh. sir. I just, oh, like, I hate it. As I hate soon it. as I hate you it. said that, I had a, I had a flashback. Like yeah, a it, literal it, flashback. It, it, I absolutely can't handle that. Edmund Kemper will not be in this episode. But uh, yeah, Lori was working at this bar in Elkhorn, and it was around 1.30 a.m. She got off of work, and Lori was driving home. She was driving down Bray Road to get to her house, okay. and a little ways into her drive, she spotted something on the side of the road that looked like a giant humanoid kneeling down on all fours. So she slowed her car down to get a better look, and she saw that this creature had some sort of animal carcass in its long claws, Ooh. and it was eating it ferociously. Lori took note that the way this creature was kneeling down seemed very unnatural. She said that from the moment she saw it that she knew there was no way it could be a dog or a wolf. Just absolutely not. My only question is, did he look up from this carcass and go, Bella, where you been, loca? <laughs> we are not in Forks. This this story does not take place in Forks. I just I don't know if I said that in the beginning, but I'm going to throw that in. We're in Elkhorn. <laughs> We are in Walworth County, bitch, not Forks. <laughs> well, you know, in the books, they traveled great distances, so I'm just saying. <laughs> so as I said, Lori sees this creature on the side of the road eating this animal carcass. She slows down her car to get a better look at the creature, and she stared in horror as she slowly drove by. She couldn't believe what she was seeing, and this creature shot up and suddenly just stared back at her. And this terrified Lori. So she sped her car up, got out of Dodge. And this encounter prompted Lori to go to the local library the next day to see if maybe she could find anything that would match in description to what she saw the night before. Right. It was bothering her and she wanted answers. And no matter how many wolf pictures she looked through, nothing matched what she saw. It only left more questions than answers. So after this, Lori contacted a man named John Fredrickson. At the time, John was an animal control officer in Elkhorn. 
So Lori calls him up, tells him what she saw, and she went to his office to discuss things with him. Now, something that's wild as hell that happened during Lori's appointment with John is that during their conversation about the creature sighting, John said himself that several books that were sitting on a bookshelf behind him, like in the office, mm-hmm. just flew off the shelf and hit the floor. Just like flew. Hit the what? ground. It's wild. And John said himself Like in the documentary that I watched about this, because he's in the documentary, he said that when those books flew off the shelf, that it pretty much just ended that conversation like right then and there, like with a fucking swiftness. I mean, I could imagine. (laughs) Lori would go on later to be interviewed by a woman named Linda Godfrey, and I will touch on who she is here in just a second. Mm -hmm. But in this interview, Lori admitted that she believed the creature was of satanic and evil origin, maybe even possibly the devil himself. So, two mm-hmm. years after Lori and Drezzy's encounter, on Halloween night 1991, a high school senior named Doris Gibson was driving down Bray Road. The drive seemed peaceful enough at first, but all of a sudden, she hit a hard bump in the road. She thought that she had hit someone's dog or some other type of animal. So she got out of her car to investigate. I was just sitting here going, don't get out your car. Don't get out your car. And standing feet behind her car in the road was a giant humanoid creature with glowing red eyes and a wolf's head. Get the fuck out. Abort mission. Bitch, get back in the car. (laughs) Run. (laughs) This creature stared at Doris for only a second before it lunged at her. Doris screamed and she got back inside of her car as fast as she could. And as she was driving off, this giant unknown beast clawed the back of her car. Holy shit. Now, this sighting is known to be the very first documented sighting of the creature that would later be named the Beast of Bray Road. And I want to say something too. Linda Godfrey, again, we're about to get into who she is. She's Mm -hmm. very important in this case. She saw Doris Gibson's car and verified that it indeed had a large claw of some sort scratch the back of her car. Her car was literally clawed. How long ago was this? This was back in... This happened in like the late 80s, 80s early 90s. 80s. Yes. So they they had cameras. Right. I sincerely hope that somebody took a picture. That may or may not be a part of this towards the end. Oh, I will shit. I will get into some of that. Okay. But uh, Linda did see Doris Gibson's car and confirmed that, you know, she indeed had these just hella big scratches down the back of her car. So, like, that was verified to be true. And it doesn't stop there either. After these sightings, a surplus of people came forward reporting that their livestock and different other animals had been killed and in some cases also disemboweled. Oh, God, like a chupacabra. Like a chupacabra, (laughs) yes. Like an El Chupa corn on the fucking cabra. (laughs) Absolutely. It is insane. Now, on December 29th, 1991, a woman named Linda Godfrey, (laughs) there's Uh, that name again. There it is. She pretty much forced the Beast of Bray Road into the spotlight. And if you don't know who Linda Godfrey is, she's a well-renowned paranormal researcher and author. She's written several books about various paranormal phenomenon throughout Wisconsin, including that of the Bray Road Beast. Mm. Linda is known as the person that really brought this story to national attention. And in 1991, Linda was working as a journalist in Wisconsin. And after these reports came in regarding sightings of this werewolf monster, Linda was asked by The Week, which was a weekly Delavan newspaper, Mm -hmm. to go investigate and interview locals. 
The story was practically given to her. And Linda was skeptical of things at first, but upon further investigation and, you know, the more she talked to people who had seen the beast, she slowly started to view the situation as very real. The more that she spoke to people and the more that she realized just how truly terrified everyone was, she just became invested and she too became a believer in the beast. Linda even went on in 2003 to publish a book called The Beast of Bray Road, Tailing Wisconsin's Werewolf. And this book is basically a culmination of everything that she learned and experienced while working on this story. I'm uncomfortable. So the following is a quote from Linda. She said, quote, there is a high probability that everyone is not always seeing the same thing. There could be a biological, physical animal seen by some while others are seeing phantoms or supernatural entities from a variety of sources. Hmm. A few may be misidentifications or hoaxes, end quote. So on December 29th, 1991, Linda published her article on the Bray Road Beast and it caused a huge flux of activity, it seemed. Within the week after the story was published, people from all over Wisconsin and even people in different states reached out to the newspaper to tell their stories. People were calling, writing letters, I mean everything. Calls were coming in by the hundreds, and each story was relatively the same. Even though the minor details differed, the thing that stayed the same was that all of these people reported seeing a terrifyingly huge humanoid beast covered in hair with the head of a large wolf or dog. Months after Doris Gibson's encounter, there was another wave of werewolf sightings. Mm -hmm. On January 8th, 1991, a man named Robert Bushman and his wife both reported that they had witnessed a large wolf-like creature chasing a deer right outside of Elkhorn. They were driving on the I-43 highway near Delavan when they spotted the creature. It happened in broad daylight. Robert and his wife said that this creature was running way too fast to pick up certain details, but they both described it as way too big to be a dog or wolf. Right. That's pretty much a quote. Way too big, way too fast, way too fucking crazy. In September of 1991, that same year, a farmer named Scott Bray reported that he had seen a gigantic dog or wolf creature stalking the fields behind his house. He described the creature as an abnormally large German shepherd with pointed ears, a tail, and gray and black fur. Another Elkhorn resident named Russell Guest reported that he had also seen a large bipedal, seemingly part dog and part wolf creature walking along the side of Bray Road. Mm -hmm. Russell said that this creature stood anywhere from five to six feet tall while on two legs. And Russell said that after he spotted the creature the initial time that it saw him and then immediately went on all fours and took off running into the woods. Shit. The following year after that, a teen from Milwaukee experienced an equally terrifying encounter with the beast. His name was Tom Brichta, and one night in August of 1992, Tom and his two friends, Chris and Scott, had left a wedding reception. On their way home, Scott said that they all started smelling a really foul odor, like something Ooh. was rotting or like a skunk smell or something like that. Ooh. And on the side of the road, they all spotted what seemed to be a giant creature standing over six feet tall, covered in grayish black streaked fur. And as Tom drove by the creature, it lunged and scratched a huge piece of the pinstriping off of his car. And in this documentary that I watched, it actually has a clip of Tom Brichta telling his story and showing his car. Mm -hmm. His shit was indeed scratched up. 
pretty badly. It's kind of insane, oh honestly. Oh, my God. And as time passed from here, more and more sightings kept happening. Linda even started to receive reports of sightings that had happened decades earlier. Mm -hmm. So you remember Mark Shackleman, the man that I mentioned in 1936 who saw the wolf creature? Right. Well, his son contacted Linda to tell her about his father's encounter. Okay. And he expressed to Linda that he also believed that this just wasn't a case of an unidentified animal of some sort, but Mm -hmm. he believed it to be something darker. And he told Linda that it pretty much affected his dad horribly for the rest of his life. It's crazy. Uh, And I know I brought this up earlier, but uh, Lori and Drizzy told Linda that she believed that the creature was, you know, something evil, possibly satanic and unnatural. That's Mm -hmm. what she said in an interview. And that perception of the beast continued to intensify as time passed. Even though there were some people who thought of the whole thing as a joke or a hoax, there were just as many other people that truly believed in this beast and believed it to be perhaps the devil or something worse than that. Like, who knows? Yeah. So... Some people even believed that the beast was a result of satanic cult activity and black magic. Okay. Evidently, in the 1980s and 1990s, there were reports of a satanic cult that would gather and slaughter animals in Walworth County. And John Fredrickson, the animal control officer in Elkhorn that I brought up earlier, he was actually called to help investigate those claims. There was an area in Walworth County where numerous mutilated bodies of dead animals were found in mass, and it was believed to be cult-related and even sacrificial in nature. So local police didn't take these discoveries seriously because they thought it to be some kind of just, I guess, like a boneyard for roadkill or something like that. They didn't really think anything sinister was behind it, even though a lot of the animal carcasses that were found displayed signs of being subjected to cruel and grotesque treatment. So some of these animals even had all of their organs removed meticulously. Mm. Um, And at the end of this ordeal, local police ended up bulldozing the area. But John Fredrickson held on to his beliefs that something more sinister was going on. In the early 1990s, John actually uh, received a call from a woman who wanted to stay anonymous. But she reported that she had knowledge of cult-like gatherings taking place in Walworth County. So this kind of added like a new layer of fear to the situation because now you have people that are scared, obviously, because, you know, holy fuck, there's a beast that's just out here. People are seeing it by the dozens. It's scratching cars. It's, you know, all of this crazy shit. But now you have that layer of people are freaking out, you know, the the whole spiritual, the satanic panic, like, oh, my God, is this the result of, quote, devil worship or, you know, something like that. So people went fucking wild. Like there was a little bit of hysteria happening around this. Um, And even today, a lot of people in Elkhorn still believe that this is the case, that it has something to do with the occult or some sort of cult gatherings and sacrifices or something ritualistic. Um, That's still very much a popular belief today. Now, continuing on with the story, huge waves of sightings and reports just kept flooding in. Oh, shit. Elkhorn was put on the map as the home of a devilish werewolf. And this story grabbed national attention, and soon the area was constantly flooded with tourists and paranormal investigators and self-proclaimed monster hunters from all over the world. Right. The legend had, at this point, transitioned into something far more real. And Linda Godfrey found herself in the middle of it all, 
the documentary that I watched on this case, uh, it's called The Bray Road Beast, and it's by Small Town Monsters. Mm -hmm. Um, But they said in this documentary that Linda, quote, found herself to be the unlikely spokesperson for a phenomenon that defies reason, end quote. Um, Man, it just sparked so many pathways of thought because... You know, I'm of the mind that what if it what if it isn't something sinister or satanic? What if this is like we still haven't discovered like we're still discovering new animals and bugs. Right. Right. You know? And there's a lot of things that that exist way outside of what we know and understand. And as I get through this, there's also portions of this that kind of make you think that what if this is like UFO related? Or extraterrestrial mm. related. It's really intense. I'm telling you, like this one, truly, it just, it creeps me out. I don't know, man. Why did that instantly make me think of Diatlov Pass? Like... <laughs> so over time, you know, there's this big werewolf flurry, I guess you could call it. People are coming forward in the dozens and hundreds, reporting right. sightings. You have all of this crazy shit happening. Newspapers going off the chain. Um, There was a flurry for a while, but after some time, it did kind of start to die down and life somewhat returned to normal for the residents of Elkhorn. I don't really want to say that it died down. What I believe to be true is that a lot of people quit coming forward with their encounters out of fear of being possibly ridiculed and mocked because Mm -hmm. a lot of the first people to come forward with their encounters like Lori Andrezzi, Doris Gibson, Tom Brichta. They were ridiculed by a lot of people and made fun of. And a lot of people that came forward claiming that they had seen this creature were also made fun of. So it happens a lot. And I'm even seeing it today with the whole Miami alien mall situation. Yeah, people are definitely vicious about it. And so I think that's more along the lines of what happened. I just think people didn't have the motivation to share their stories because they didn't want to be made fun of and mocked, which I mean, understandable. But nonetheless things kind of settled down a little bit around Elkhorn. Right. But a resurgence of sightings would happen in 2003 after Linda Godfrey published her book about the Bray Road Beast, Mm -hmm. the book that I brought up earlier. This publication, again, brought forth a wave of people in the Elkhorn area claiming that they were terrified by a giant wolf-like beast. (laughs) Man. So in one of these reports... A man claimed that this creature ran alongside his car for over a mile, and he said this creature kept up with his car, even though he was driving approximately 55 miles per hour. Now, that's fucking scary. That is fucking terrifying. I could not imagine. That's fucking scary. Several other people would come forward in the coming weeks after that, claiming to have seen a giant wolf-like beast in the cornfields and woods near Bray Road. Mm -hmm. That was happening a lot. Okay. Now, as we approach the end of this episode, um, I want to talk about a farmer named Lee Hempel. This part of the story is fucking crazy, and I think it is extremely convincing when talking about the Bray Road Beast. Like, okay. it, it absolutely had me <laughs> scratching my fucking noggin. I'm just going <laughs> to put it that way. But he's a farmer, and he was featured in the documentary that I keep talking about, and he has captured some of the most strange and most compelling evidence in terms of this creature's existence. So Lee was a retired math and physics teacher from Illinois, and he moved to Elkhorn in 2007. Mm -hmm. He bought a farm property that was located between Bowers Road and Bray Road, 
And he was the new guy in town, so at first he didn't really have many friends or people that he knew. He just kind of did his farm work, did his thing. Um, but he had heard stories of the Beast of Bray Road. He okay. had kind of heard tales about it. Well, one day in September of 2013, Lee had just cut some hay and he needed help bailing it up. So he went down the road and he found a group of other farmers and he asked them for help. He was like, you know, I have uh, some hay that I can't bail up. Would you guys help me? So they agreed to help him. Awesome. And when they get back to his farm and they're, you know, doing their thing with the hay, one of the farmers tells Lee, you know, the Beast of Bray Road lives on your property. You know what this area is, right? Oh, like, God. He was like, me and my wife have seen it. And this was followed up by a few of the other farmers telling Lee that they had also seen the creature. And even though Lee had heard some of the stories, he wasn't entirely a believer. So he kind of was just like, you know, okay, cool, you guys trying to fuck with me. I see. That's cool. Whatever. See, but for me... House immediately in escrow. <laughs> nah, I can't. I'm I can't, moving. I can't. Uh, but he just shrugged everything off at first, really. He didn't okay. really think much about it. But a few days later after that, while Lee was driving down Bowers Road, he found a dead raccoon. So Lee took this raccoon and he threw it in the back of his property, like out back, basically. Mm -hmm. And two days after leaving the raccoon there, Lee went back to check on it only to find that this raccoon had been completely gutted with a clean incision running from its throat down to the lower regions of its abdomen and its entrails were placed neatly in a pile next to the carcass. What? And this kind what? of freaked, yeah, it kind of freaked Lee out a bit. He was like, this does not look natural. What the fuck? Right. See, that sounds more ritualistic. So a few days after that, Lee was driving down the road again, and he found a dead badger. And Lee decided that he wanted to take this dead badger back to his property and place it where he had placed the raccoon just to kind of see what happened, and that's what he did. Three days after leaving the badger, Lee went to check on it, only to find that it was maybe 10 to 15 feet away from where he left it. And this sounds easily explainable at first, right? but the badger weighed between 25 and 30 pounds. So that rules the that rules out any possibility, excuse me, of like a bird, some sort of wild bird picking this thing up and moving it like it's way too heavy for that. So Lee initially thought that maybe some of those farmers that had helped him with his hay were coming onto his property, you know, doing this shit, trying to scare him, basically. I mean, he was that like, would be the, the logical, fuck? you know, train of thought. So Lee decided after this that he wanted to set up cameras around his property and what he found only made things really fucking weird. Weird. So, like, cameras. Was it cameras on his house or was it, like, a trail cam? Trail cams. Oh, okay. Yes. So, over the next four years after that, Lee continuously documented the disappearances and dismemberments of dozens of animal carcasses on his property. Even though Lee set up cameras in hopes of catching wild animals or maybe even people coming onto his property... To scare him, he ended up capturing something uh, entirely different. Uh. Lee started capturing UFO-like phenomenon on his cameras. Strange lights and light patterns would always be going crazy in the instances where these animal carcasses were being harmed. Okay. He caught flashing lights in the sky as well as shining lights in the wilderness surrounding his house. Huh. Lights that looked totally unnatural. Uh, Lee also captured on numerous occasions 
glaring red eyes in his field. It is fucking creepy. And I think amongst the most strangest of evidence he captured was this fog. But let me explain. Lee basically always had roadkill on his property. And he'd always be filming his property. So most of the time he would place dead deer on his property. And he'd always find that these deer would go completely missing. Like gone. No remains left behind. No nothing. Upon checking his cameras after a few instances of this happening where he puts a dead deer in his backyard only to find that it is like completely gone. He goes to check some cameras and he captures a fog like mist. And this mist would basically creep into the camera frame, cover the deer entirely. And when the fog would dissipate, the deer would be gone. Deer eating fog. So like one, my first thought, my first reaction to that was like, could you imagine the neighbors thinking how creepy this guy is? Do you know he puts dead animals in his yard (laughs) and he's recording it? I could. I mean, this man is a weirdo. It's right. Right. So that's the first thought. But the second thought is, so you know how Dracula has bats? (laughs) Maybe werewolves have Have fog. fog. (laughs) Maybe because I'm telling you and you can see some of it in the documentary. But like to try to explain it a little more clear, he you have the, the camera frame. Mm-hmm. He'll have his dead deer, and then in the moments before something happens, you see flashing lights in the sky and in the tree line, and then this literal fog. Just It could be a clear, beautiful day, and this fog rolls in, covers the deer, kind of fogs up the frame. It only lasts for a couple of seconds, but when that fog dissipates, the deer's gone, and he captured this. Way more than once. What the hell? He captured this happening way more than one time. It is truly wild. Another extremely compelling piece of evidence captured by Lee was prints. Actual prints. Upon exploring his property on numerous occasions, he found several five-toed, seven-pad tracks all around the area where the animals were vanishing. These prints clearly looked as if they had come from a large canine, Mm -hmm. but the thing is, there were only hind footprints. One more time, repeat how many toes and how many pads? Five-toed, seven-pad. Five-toe, seven-pad. That's what he said in the documentary. And, and that is like, I, I'm, I'm like my trying brain. Trying to picture it. They're right. huge. And I saw pictures of them. They are huge. Like I've seen animal tracks out in the woods. Who hasn't, right? I, Am I right? <laughs> I mean, but a lot of people don't know what certain animal tracks look like. And I'm sitting here running through like my, my mental Rolodex. And there is not one natural animal that I have seen tracks for that have five toes and seven pads. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. And then the other thing to add to that, they they clearly look that they come from a sort of canine, a very large canine, but there's only hind footprints, like hind Yeah, that's the other part that fucking gets me. So it's like... It's not like a wolf is going to do these doggy party tricks and walk on their back legs. That's that's not going to happen. No, it's absolutely crazy. And... The prints clearly indicate, obviously, by what I just said, that the animal that made them is bipedal. So Lee has captured pictures and even made castings of these prints. Yeah, he actually has them casted. And when Lee took these castings and these pictures to local track experts in the area, 
no one could identify them. Not one. Because they don't seem to come from something that is of this world. Something that is not in our natural order of things. It is fucking crazy. What other bipedal canine do you know? It's wild. So Lee has since taken his evidence to several universities in Wisconsin and, you know, things like that. And everyone is still stumped. No one can explain the things that he has captured from the UFO related phenomenon all over his camera to the fucking deer eating fog to the the, the deer eating fog to the it's to like the, a horror movie. Right. And then you have the, the hind prints from a large canine. I mean, no one can explain it. And keep in mind what I said in the beginning. Uh, Wisconsin is already a very big hotspot for UFO activity and different kinds of things like that. So, I mean, it kind of fits. But with everything that I've described so far, everything that Lee has managed to capture, all of the sightings, everything that we've learned, mm -hmm. does any of this prove the existence of a demonic werewolf? Or does it prove something that's a bit bigger? Is it something in the realm of UFOs and aliens? Is the Beast of Bray Road some sort of extraterrestrial? Is that why strange occurrences always seem to follow behind it? Or could it be something much older and maybe even diabolical completely in nature? Mm. These are questions that we may never have answers to, unfortunately. But today, the city of Elkhorn is still very much known for more than its Christmas card aesthetics, prairies, and quiet atmosphere. It's known today as the home of a werewolf beast that stalks and terrifies its locals. Even in spite of this, Elkhorn hasn't really done all that much to embrace the legend. There's no museums or shops based off of the monster. During the height of the 90s media frenzy surrounding this creature, you could buy a t-shirt if you wanted. And today, if you happen to be in Elkhorn, you can even swing by one of the local bars to grab a silver bullet special. But as far as the truth behind this creature goes, we may never know the answer in its entirety. Maybe the answer is something that we couldn't comprehend even if we were told. The Beast of Bray Road continues to terrify and fascinate people from all over the world, even to this day. Skeptics still exist, of course, but there's also an equal amount of people who see Elkhorn as no plain Jane Wisconsin Christmas card town, <laughs> but rather a place that harbors an ancient evil. A six to seven foot tall humanoid with the body of a man and head of a wolf covered in fur and terrifying all of those who are unlucky enough to see it. And yeah, you guys, that is going to conclude my episode on the Beast of Bray Road. That's crazy. Wild, it's, isn't it's it? It's absolutely creepy? crazy. It is creepy. And one last note that I want to make here, I would like to say that my deepest condolences go to the family and friends of Linda Godfrey because she passed away on November 27th, 2022 at the age of 71 years old. But she will forever be known as the woman who brought the Beast of Bray Road basically to life. And she spent a large amount of her life working on this story. And she was just very passionate about it. And I think her work is honestly incredible. But I wanted to leave that little note at the end for us to remember her because yeah. she's kind of responsible for a lot of this. So, yeah. I hate that she passed. That sucks. It, it's wild, but I mean, her her work is incredible. This story is so 
fascinating to me. Right. It makes me want to look over like everything that she found. Like what evidence does she have? Does we're gonna, she have? We're going to have to buy some of her books, honestly, because yeah, like, she has multiple books. I would personally love to read her book that she did on this, like on the Beast of Bray Road. I bet oh, that God. is incredible. But, oh God. but, but, but. We said it in the beginning, and you promised to deliver. You owe yeah, yeah. you owe our listeners okay, so a werewolf story. This story is basically short and sweet. I was the designated driver for a girls' night out. Right, there were right. four of us all together. We were, you know, in their jeep, and I was driving. It's late at night. We're coming back home from like a country club. So the country club was probably about 30, 45 minutes away from my friend's house. And it was all back roads, okay? Mm-hmm. So it's late at night. There's nothing but woods on each side. We're getting ready to pass over a bridge. And I see this thing on the side of the road. I am still to this day not exactly sure what it was that I saw. Okay, so basically... What did you see? Definitely bigger than a dog or a wolf, all right? It, like, it's back when I passed it came up to the window. Like, it was Fuck. big. That. It was big, okay? But it definitely looked like a canine, but it had long, like, long fur. It had of a head of a dog, obviously, but, like, the head was really wide. Like, it was not like a regular dog's face. Right, right. Ooh, there I, don't, were, I don't like it. There were patches missing in the fur. Like, it looked like almost like it had mange almost, but there were, like, patches missing in the fur. And when the lights hit its eyes, like, I do know that when lights hit an animal's eyes, it has the possibility to be red. Right. I do know that. I tried to I tried to think logically about this. One, that animal was way too big. It almost, to me, I've never seen a bear in real life, but it almost looked like a, like a bear-sized fucking creature, cr- dog, whatever it was. Right. And in, in the patches of, like, missing fur... It was dark, but it kind of looked like grayish looking skin. Oh, I definitely. Yep. Uh, I would have to say that out of uh, sounds like a damn werewolf. I mean, and, but like the look on its face, like its mouth was open. Right. So Ooh. it looked like a dog. It looked like a dog, nope. like mouth open. You can see teeth. Nope. Pointy ears. Nope. Long hair. Nope. I, I know. And, and. Others in the car saw this because I actually, I was like, what the fuck is that? I actually yelled out, what the, the fuck, fuck is that? <laughs> right, right. And one of the girls in the back was like, did I just see that? And all, and the other two girls are like, what? What was it? What was it? You know, because they were talking. They weren't paying attention. Right. But I believe that one of my other friends at the time did see it. But I know I'm not crazy. I know what I saw. It did not move off. Animals... When you pull up in a car, we were going probably 40, 45 miles an hour, maybe even 50, right? Because the back roads here are 55. Right, right. So it didn't move. The car approached it. I passed it. I even saw it in my rear view. And the whole time it didn't move. Fuck It was on. That. It was like on four legs on, mm. the, on the side of the road. Mm. Like it was getting ready to go into the woods. But it was like staring at the car the whole time until I passed it. No, no. Right. That's a no for me. So the, I bet that and means I like, vividly remember this ever since that day. So like going with that, then hearing what I presented today, I I bet you're on the side of you 
probably believe this just like I do. (laughs) I'm going to have to go outside and check to see if the car is still here because I think my asshole ran and (laughs) drove back home. I think it I think it got up, ran and drove back home. I that just like unnecessarily cracked me up. Just like how wide your eyes are. I can't. I absolutely fucking cannot. Yeah, I, I just, I can't. And it's like, it's fine if you don't believe me. Like, it's fine, but I know what I saw. Oh, I totally believe and you. We, See, people that listen to this podcast don't know you personally. I know you personally, and I know you're not the type to bullshit. Like, like I, I've known you for so long. Like, when you're serious about something, like, I can, I, I believe you. Like, I genuinely know you too well. To, like, I know when you're telling the truth. I know. (laughs) And when you're convinced about something, I don't question that. And I mean, I've also seen my fair share. I mean, I've never seen anything that would resemble a werewolf, I don't think. But I've had a whole slew of other fucking creepy experiences in my life that I can't explain. So, I mean, I'm I'm definitely a believer. Like, I should should mention that these are in the back roads of Georgia. Right. Okay. We were on a 30 to 45 minute drive from the club in a smaller city to her house so these are and her house is like in the middle of fucking nowhere right okay so like she had yeah. property and you know while we're going down this road it's just like there's trees on either side and it, i don't know what i saw to this day i don't know what i saw but i'm convinced that what i saw was a fucking werewolf like i mean i believe it i truly do i really believe in that shit so I'm fucking sufficiently creeped out. You're sufficiently fucking creeped Bitch, out. Bitch, I still have to drive home after this. <laughs> in back roads. In Georgia. At night. At night. <laughs> so, fuck <you. laughs> so fuck you. So fuck you. My asshole left about 10 minutes ago. I might have to go catch up with it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I guess now that we are all sufficiently creeped and you have to prepare for your drive, which I hope is absent of any type of werewolf. <laughs> uh, Bitch, me too. What do you mean? Is, what do you can, mean? We can now close everything out. It was really fun doing this today, you guys. If you would like to follow Ray and I and all of our well, great news. You can totally do that. You can find us on Facebook at Gore Report, a true crime podcast. On Instagram. At Gore Report Podcast. You can find us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Gore Report Podcast. Or if you just want to write us a letter, request a case, or just tell us that we're downright being dumbasses, <laughs> <laughs> you can hit up our email at GoreReportPod at gmail.com. And, uh, yeah, as I do with every Cryptids episode, I just have one final question for everyone listening. Now that we've covered the, uh, Christmas card antics of the Wisconsin Stalking Werewolf, (laughs) my final question is... Do you believe...